Hey everybody, uh, the holidays made this one very difficult to record, and so you should know this is a two-parter. Um, the first part of it is what the mini-pod normally is, preview of the upcoming game against the Vikings, and then we take questions in part two. So when part one ends, don't turn it off, part two will start up right then. There is a separate mini-pod on the Patreon, for those of you who are Patreon subscribers, go check that out too. It is different than the start of this podcast. It is about different things. So go check out both of those. We'll be back next week. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the mini pod, or maybe the regular pod, we'll see, uh, for the upcoming game against the Minnesota Vikings. I'm Paul Noonan of Acme Packing Company, the Shepherd Express. Uh, there's a couple parts to this week's reporting is eligible flying around, and if you don't hear it on the main feed, it'll be on the Patreon feed or vice versa. Uh, we're giving away some for free, but you know, we've got to do right by our patrons too. So uh, everybody gets a fun one. We're taking questions. They'll be appended to one of these. And uh, so stick around for that. Go and find it. If you do want to join the Patreon uh, and get the mini pod and also the baseball um, minor league extra with James Anderson and Ryan, uh, it, that is the $5 package. I think we call it the ball and glove. I don't remember. It's five bucks. Um, uh, five bucks, bucks a month. You get the mini pod preview every Friday uh, when the Packers are going up to play a team. Uh, there'll be at least uh, this plus one more. <laughs> I have to make the playoffs. There'll be more than that. There'll be a, like a season wrap up one too. Um, but uh, that's what you're looking at there. Uh, but let, let's get to it. Usually, if you're not familiar, uh, if we're playing a team and we're the underdog, uh, try and explain how we can win that game. If we're the uh, favor, try and favorite favor the favorite try and explain what's likely to happen that could cause us to lose this game which has happened a lot lately and uh, has been dead on i'm good at those um the vikings and the packers are i think a pretty even steven even with the vikings beat up pretty hard uh, not that we're not like our our injury list is also very very long i shouldn't even say that that's a big viking thing um and let's actually that's probably a good enough place to to start um we got a lot of limited people, but I think the important people will likely play. Like Devondre Campbell's probably out, but he, that's a whole problem anyway, and he's probably that's probably addition by sub subtraction. Uh, Aaron Jones is still on the injury report uh, with a knee and a finger, but given how he played last week, I suspect he'll end up going. He is limited, though. So you never know with Aaron. Um, AJ is still limited. If they don't have running backs, that is a problem, but I think they will. Um, Luke Musgrave has been activated, and actually he's been limited too with his kidney laceration. He's going to play at some point. I don't know if he's going to get in this one, um, but it would be nice if he did. Jaden Reed, uh, but his, he's still limited, but his comments today sound like he is ready to go. So I expect him to be fully uh, healthy. That's very, very good. That's very helpful. Um, Darnell Savage still nursing a shoulder. Um, who knows? And again, not the biggest deal. Quay Walker actually does matter kind of a lot. He's limited too. And then we got Watson and Wicks. I think Wicks will go, but he was on the bike today. Watson, I think maybe a little bit longer. It's still the hamstring, so you never know. I hope Wicks plays. He helps a lot when he's in there. I think he hurt the, when he got knocked out last week. 
that offense, uh, you know, it, it took it. Uh, it. It was definitely a downgrade without him in there. Um, they need a little bit more depth in the receiving core. Hopefully Wicks can go. Um, but here's the thing, and, and we'll get to the Viking injuries in a second. The path to victory for the Vikings, not to say that they're big underdogs, um, but the path to victory for the Vikings is to continue to play super great defense and hold the, the Packer offense, which has been good lately, in check. And then um, use the meager parts of their offense that they still have that are healthy to overwhelm Joe Barry through guile and, and um, score enough points to get this one done. I think that's pretty realistic. Uh, Kevin O'Connell is a good play caller. Uh, they are beat up on offense, something serious. But I think you, if you just, even with bad players, if you can do some of the same exploits that Carolina and Tampa and New York did to us over the last three weeks, then you can probably get the job done. And uh, it's just a matter of having a couple of guys healthy. You can do that. Justin Jefferson is going to play in this game. And uh, the one guy I didn't mention for the Packers, Jair Alexander is suspended in this game for being an idiot last week. Now, listen to the other pod for lots more on that um, and all what may what may have prompted it. But, you know, that's what it comes down to fundamentally is the Vikings have enough weapons with just Jefferson to maybe get this done if their defense continues to play as it is. And let's talk about that defense because... Their defense has been a phenomenal story. Uh, they were 25th in DVOA last year. They were pretty much the same as us. Unlike us, they fired their defensive coordinator, former Packer defensive coordinator Ed Donatel, who ran the 25th best defense in the league last year. They fired him despite going 13-4, and four, which teams don't always have the guts to do. Um, they hired Brian Flores, the former head coach of the Miami Dolphins, uh, who, if you, you may recall, uh, ended up suing the NFL uh, in various employment and discrimination capacities. Uh, he is African-American. He was uh, fired by the Dolphins despite, uh, I think he had a maybe slightly under 500 record, or close to 500 record, but he, his last two seasons were winning seasons. Um, and uh, he, he was working with not great talent there. So um, Brian Flores was freed up. The Vikings saw that he was freed up. They moved on from Donatel to him. He's been absolutely outstanding as a defensive coordinator, and I don't mean to... There is no hyperbole there. Not only has he been outstanding, they're fifth in DVOA this year. They're like 12th in EPA per play, but they're like tied with the 49ers defense. It's pretty crunched up there. It doesn't take much to move around in the top 12. And more than anything, they're innovative on defense. They are crazy pants. If you go and look at some of PFF or Football Outsiders um, analysis on the Vikings defense this year, uh, they they are the most unique defense of the last five years. What makes them unique is that uh, they blitz and they drop eight into coverage more than any other team in the league by just a ton. Um, so uh, I will put this chart in, I will either retweet it, I'm going to retweet it right now as I record this, check it out later on. Um, There's a chart, uh, I'll I'll do the best I can, it's not a visual medium, um, that Dan Pizzuta put together, and it was retweeted by Nate Tice, who's a good analyst, um, of the drop 8 rate and the blitz rate, Uh, blitz rate is the horizontal axis, drop rate is the vertical axis, of all the teams in the NFL this year, um, the team that that blitzes the second most is the New York Giants at about 41%. And the team that drops eight the second most is the New Orleans Saints, who do it at about 12%. Um, the Minnesota Vikings 
blitz on 47% of their uh, their defensive snaps, which is, uh, the Giants are actually kind of close, but nobody, the Giants and Buccaneers, and then it's a huge, huge gap, and it's a huge gap between the Vikings and the Giants. And the Vikings drop eight, which we usually rally against, but I'll get to it in a second. 22% of the time, uh, 10% more than the Saints do. They are on an island unto themselves on this chart. It is really quite the chart. Go look it up. Uh, it'll be in my feed very high. And uh, um, blitzing and running a unique defense and dropping eight can all blow up in your face. But the reason it works for the Vikings is because most teams bring four or five rushers most of the time. And so if you're preparing for most teams, most offensive line checks and pass off responsibilities and things like that uh, will be for four and five rushers. You practice those, you know those inside and out. Um, you know, generally speaking, what you're going to have to do. There might be a novelty trick play, bring the house blitz every once in a while. People might drop eight once in a while. Um, but by and large, you know, offensive linemen can rely on uh, the usual and their muscle memory to to make the proper checks and pass offs and all that fun stuff. Um, it's kind of a bell curve if you think about it. It's going to be four and five. That's most of what you're going to have to deal with. Uh, the, th the threes, not as much. The six plus, not as much. Um, when you play the Vikings, that bell curve gets real flat. Um, they bring the house a lot. They bring a whole bunch of blitzers a lot, and they're just as likely to drop a whole ton of people into coverage. And of course, if you know that they're dropping a whole ton of people into coverage and there's only three people rushing and you recognize that immediately, you can you know sit in the pocket forever and wait for guys to come open. Where the Vikings get super effective, though, is A, in disguising how many people are coming and B, blitzing so much and so heavily that quarterbacks start to panic and uh, that clock speeds up even with three rushers coming and they end up forcing balls into eight-man coverages and mistakes happen that way. Um, it's very creative. It's actually pretty fun to watch. Uh, I know watching the Vikings play defense probably isn't high on any of your um, you know, your wants for the year, but I actually recommend doing it because it is really something. Uh, and it's amazing how much dropping eight does work for them. In fact, uh, Aaron Schatz at Outsiders did a little analysis, and the Vikings are actually, even though they blitz a ton uh, and at a, at a very high rate and bring a lot of people, they're actually a more effective defense when not blitzing. It's the fear of the blitz that works best for them. And the challenge for Jordan Love He's been good at this, but the challenge will be to stay very calm and diagnose every play individually, not based on what he's seen recently. Not panic when it's only three or four coming at you. Uh, use those opportunities to hit big plays down the field. Uh, teams have had a problem doing that against the Vikings. Quarterbacks have gotten very panicky against them, and it has been very difficult. Um, the Vikings are also a very well-rounded defense. They are uh, sixth against the pass, fifth or sixth against the pass, and like ninth against the run. It's not like uh, this isn't a game where you can just like lean on Aaron Jones. Last week, Carolina was one of the worst run defenses in the league, uh, and thank goodness for it. You could, when things weren't working, just lean on Aaron, and you'll you know you would do a pretty good job just doing that. That's not the case this week. And if Aaron even is good to go and not on a snap count, um, he's always a weapon, but he's not going to be a guy who can just take this one over in all likelihood. They're going to be able to need to pass to score points. This is a unique defense. It's tricky. Um, it gave the Packers fits the first time they saw it this year. Let me pull that game up and make sure I'm not lying about that. I'm, we, we were bad in that game, right? I'm not crazy. Um, that was 
Halloween. Oh yeah, twenty. We lost that game, twenty-four to ten. We scored ten points last time we saw this defense play. Uh, Jordan Love was twenty-four of forty-one for two twenty-nine, one touchdown and a pick. Uh, that's not good. Uh, Jaden Reed was everything. Uh, Christian Watson was terrible. Dontavian was actually, he was okay, but he was not great. And Romeo had like the most inefficient day of all time. Nine targets, four catches, 18 yards, and a score. Yeesh. The score is good, but the rest of that, boo. <coughs> so um, the defense also seems to have really reinvigorated some of the older Vikings in terms of just pure production. Um, Daniil Hunter is having a... Uh, first of all, he's been hurt a lot. He has not been hurt this season. Uh, the Vikings have suffered a lot of injuries on offense. But on defense, uh, Daniil has been healthy. He's got 15 and a half sacks. He has been an absolute force. Um, he is obviously capable of taking, uh, creating pass rush all by his lonesome. Uh, he is phenomenal. Um, he is their fourth greatest, uh, highest grade on the PFF list, though, because uh, Mecky Blackman, who may not play at cornerback, and Cameron Bynum, their safety are higher. Um, and... I think that goes to show you just how much they're getting out of guys who I don't, I would, Mecky Blackman's a third round rookie and is by PFF the best defensive player. And uh, their DVOA splits, DVOA splits, I think, kind of agree with that, where um, uh, their DVOA splits are unusual. I haven't seen um, this this kind of, so they're good against number one receivers. And uh, I think that does make sense. Their, their top corner tends to be either Blackman or uh, shoot. Uh, guy, he plays, he plays a little in the slot, but he also plays uh, backup left corner to a guy whose name is escaping me right now. Um, yeah, shoot, because he's he's been hurt. Um, oh, what is it? Byron Murphy? Byron Murphy. Um, he's also hurt. Um, but uh, that number one corner has been good for them. Number two, though, is their weakness, and um, their pass rush helps to cover up the fact that you have to get to a second read to actually do a lot of damage against them. Um, but uh, they're like 20-something. Uh, yeah, lost my DVOAs. Um, I made a mistake, tactically speaking. I had I usually line up all my spreadsheets in a big row so I can just... And uh, I, I went back to look at something, and I whenever I did them, I was like, I'll find it right away. No, nope, that's not what happened. That was stupid. Shouldn't have done that. Lost my order. I will reset the order. But... Uh, Ah, here we are. Vikings. 23rd against number two receivers. So that's where you can do your damage. And that's partially that they are hurt and they have been hurt. And so they're a little top heavy. Um, their their safeties are good at helping on the number one receiver, um, Bynum, etc. Um, but number two, um, if you can actually hold the ball long enough, you can do damage uh, on the other side of the field. But they're good against the slot, too. Uh, only eight, uh, eighth against the slot. Reed actually one of the better slot games against them earlier this year. Um, struggle a little bit, a bit with tight ends at 16th. Uh, if Kraft shows up, that would be big. And pass catching running backs. If Aaron Jones is going to do some damage in this game, that's a good place for it. Um, they really specialize at taking away a team's number one receiver and slot receiver. That's a very analytically good way to go about things. Um, slot receivers are usually highly targeted. They can do a lot of damage. Number one receivers, number one receivers. Going to the second outside receiver um, is not everybody's forte. Um, relying on the the tight end is a lot of people's forte. That's why the Vikings aren't perfect. Um, but like that's where you have to attack them. The Packers are capable of this. Like this is not like a thing where like I think Matt Lafleur is necessarily going to, uh, you know, not be able to get this done here. There are weaknesses to pick on, uh, but it's been a problem for a lot of teams 
putting up numbers against the Vikings. And so um, it, it is uh, a tough challenge that they will have to overcome because, of course, on the other side of the ball, you got to stop Minnesota's offense from scoring points. And if you're Joe Barry, you haven't been able to stop Jack anything from scoring points. Um, so if the if their defense could do what they did last time to us, hold us to 10 points or 17 points or even 21 points, you don't have to get that many points to win the game. Now, the Viking offense is coming off one of their worst games of the season, kind of. Um, they are uh, they lost to the Lions 30-24, to still scored 24 points. Uh, Nick Mullins exploded. Uh, he threw four interceptions. He got sacked four times. He, he got destroyed uh, by the Lions pass rush, threw a bunch of stupid bad balls. Um, but they were still effective in doing some things that I think should scare the Packers, one of which is leaning heavily on Justin Jefferson and getting him into space, especially getting him into space. They targeted him 10 times. He only caught six balls, but he caught six balls for 141 yards and a score. And they were able to actually coax a good game out of K.J. Osborne, who's only okay, who had five for 95 and a score. This was really a shootout game. Um, Detroit's defense isn't good at preventing yards. They rely on turnovers, which they got. Um, but, um, you know, we're working with Nick Mullins, Justin Jefferson, Ty Chandler, K.J. Osborne, and um, they still put up 24 points. Um, as bad as Mullins was uh, turning the ball over, he threw for 411 yards in that game. And, you know, it, you start thinking like, well, uh, what it's Jerron Hall. Um, it's not Nick Mullins, who's at least a seasoned veteran. Hawkinson's out for the year, who had a, a decent enough game last time. Um, is this really going to be the same kind of thing? And then, maybe not, but we have Joe on the other side. And the one other thing the Vikings do have, uh, first of all, they suck at rushing the ball. They, they, they really, really do. They're really bad at it. Um, uh, but... Um, <laughs> oh, that's a fun one. I forgot about that game. Um, the, Alexander Madison, as bad as he is, is a decent enough pass catcher where you can do some of the motion things that uh, the three teams that have given us trouble recently did and get Jefferson singled up in zone on someone who shouldn't be guarding him. Um, they have enough... Uh, and ha Actually, Ham, if he's is he healthy? I don't know. He's not on this one. Um, if, if he's healthy enough, like he's actually a good pass catcher too. Like Ham and Madison together, I should actually look and see if he's playing. Um, allow them to do a lot of the same things that people have done against us recently. And if we're counting on Joe Barry to learn, it hasn't happened yet. <clears throat> ah, big drink of water. Um, yep, CJ Ham did play last week. Had one catch for six yards. Um fullback gives you trouble if you can't stop the run and is also a dangerous pass catcher in some instances so like uh, this is a team that really is lacking in in offensive talent like um it's very possible um addison is going to miss this game it's very possible well, hawkinson is going to miss he's done for the year it's just Jeff justin jefferson and scrubs and so the obvious thing to do if you are joe barry is to cover the hell out of Justin Jefferson. And um, if you do that, you probably win this game. If you don't do that, though, if you do your stupid zone, if you stay true to your philosophy, 
and you know devote people to taking away the Josh Olivers of the world, the Brandon Powells. Of the, who the hell is Brandon Powell? He had 53 yards receiving last week. Um, I should probably know who he is. I do not. Um, and if you let KJ go off um, because he has like Devondre Campbell's not going to play, but like Quay on him, well, <laughs> that's a problem, and they're good at this. Um, so it's going to be Jaron Hall, who's not good. Um, he only has one weapon um, of any scary at all. But their defense is good, and their defense can keep this close. And if they can then coax a couple drives, and Hall is mobile, like a couple of good runs out of Jaron Hall and a couple of deep shots to Justin Jefferson, or we just don't cover Justin Jefferson. They hit him over and over and over again. Um, they can score enough points to win this game. They're, they're a scary team because they're smart, even though they're hurt. Um, they can still make the playoffs they can still uh, i don't think they can do any damage but they can prove that they are actually a good team and they are honestly kind of scary now and going forward this is a must win for the packers they can't afford to be stupid i wish they would have moved on from joe you know this week slash last week slash the week before that but joe around makes anything possible this game is scary for that reason um minnesota is super super limited but smart and that's all it takes against joe barry good defense plus smart offensive coordinator uh i think is a tough spot for the packers to be in and i'm not sure what's going to happen in this one so um i will leave it at that uh there will be a separate part of this where we answer questions hopefully i'll have at least matt around um but um, other than that, enjoy the game. We'll be back next week. Uh, win, lose, or anything else. That's gonna splatter. Never gotten used to this bitter winter. I've been wasted, angry, and sad since you left. And Like the driven snow Like the heaven Well I guess you should have known By the way you park your car sideways It wouldn't last Show the kind of person Who believes in making out once Love them and leave them fast Well I guess I must be dumb Share a pocket full of horses Trojan but it was Saturday now, I guess that makes it all right You said, what have I got to lose? And honey, I said, little red COVID Baby, I'm much too fast Little red COVID You need love Hey everybody, welcome to, I guess, part Three of reporting is eligible this week. Uh, if you are looking for part two, it's right before this. And if you're looking for part one, uh, that is the Patreon exclusive part today. So you can see that at m- uh, patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. This is, of course, the question section because all of you love writing questions. We love answering them. And uh, so we're just going to get to that right away. Uh, I, the, the first two are solo shows. But to help me answer questions, we managed to get together during the daytime of a work week holiday. Who, who we got there? My name is Matt, but you can call me Matab, Acme Packing Company, Meme Weaver, and General Twitter Rabble Rouser. Currently working from home, so of course I'm here. Also working from home. So uh, yeah, this is lunch break. 
so anyway, thanks for everybody for their questions. Uh, we got the Vikings game upcoming. We just kind of barely squeaked by the Panthers, which was something. The Pop-Tarts Bowl happened yesterday, if you wonder when we're recording this. Um, Matt, did you see any of the Pop-Tarts Bowl or just the memes? I mean, the fact that the uh, mascot sacrificed himself to become an <laughs> edible trophy is it, it perfectly encapsulates um, Gen Z's doom-based culture. Yeah. Um, so I could see it, it having good with appeal to old school too, though. Like uh, sac- sacrifice for the the greater good. You know, old school religion we got going here. Lots of subtext. Oh sure. Here. It was but yeah, so really very something. specifically. <laughs> well, from what I understand, is it has created a. Um, resurgence of the brand with Gen Z because the Doomers are just out in waves yeah. supporting the Pop Tarts. I think that makes perfect sense. It was, I think it was great. Like that, whoever thought of that deserves the biggest of promotions ever. Like, to, who would think pitching that? Like, we're, we're going to have a bowl game, and during the bowl game, we're going to have a Pop Tart mascot, and at the end of the game, the winning team's going to eat him. <laughs> that is insane, and it worked great. But it, it also, um, I, I mean, to me, it's it's very reminiscent of when the Wendy's social media person just decided to start being a jerk to people. Yeah, it's like, very it, similar. It, right, like, like completely out of left field. No one thought to do it before. And now I feel like we're going to have a lot of copycats. Yeah, uh, and they're gonna, all going to be worse than this because this was executed brilliantly as well. The very earnest Pop-Tart who knew he was going to die is like <laughs> also a, quite the good choice to make. Ah, uh, all right. We got we got lots of questions, and we got limited time because it's the daytime. So let's knock these puppies out. Um, you want to? Oh man, the... someone! <laughs> oh, you just retweeted it. I was like, someone already made a. Uh, it turns out the pop tart was at the January sixth. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Shaft retweeted it into my timeline. So, um, the, oh man, uh, so good. Milkshake, Milkshake duck, duck, that man. guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. You want to be the reader or the answerer? Uh, I will alternate. be the reader. Okay, I'll, I'll be the reader since since I can put on my business voice because it's business oh, hours, yeah. right? It is business time. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Beginning questions uh, from our patrons. Patrons get question priority as always, and number one as usual is Mark Podscarby. <laughs> as always. Based on metrics like CPOE and completion percentage, Jordan Love has gone from wildly inaccurate to one of the most accurate passers in the NFL. If you compare his first half and his second half splits. What do you attribute this development towards, and is it sustainable? It's nuts. Yeah, it's very surprising. Yeah. I think he has cleaned up his mechanics a little bit on short throws, and I think most of it is from a love perspective, short throws, uh, but I think a lot of it is just the receivers got better, um, and we really should give them a, a lot of blame for the early season woes that he had, which is fine. They're all rookies and second-year players, but as they've developed and catch radiuses have developed, they've really helped boost that completion percentage too. I would say the other big one recently is Tucker Craft is better at catching short passes than Luke Musgrave is, and there kind of are a lot of them. So it's it's two or three a game, but it actually does matter, I feel like, materially to that. Sure. Um, yeah. The other thing is, is, I think it also does lend itself to things that we were saying about him earlier in the year, um, like back in October, where remember I said that it's, it's like he's aiming the ball, not throwing it yeah. like, to use the baseball terminology. It seems like he's much more like just throwing. He's it. winging like he's, it now. Yeah. Yeah. 
and, and I think that's it is kind of where he shines. Yeah, I think it is sustainable. I do think he kind of every once in a while will fall back into bad habits and get into his own head a little bit, and you can kind of see that. So, it, like, if he ever went into a little bit of a slump, I wouldn't be that surprised. But I think as long as he has his wits about him and he is just letting it fly out there, that it probably is sustainable. Like, he looks, it looks good. It's good to see. Oh man, and that third and ten where he's like fading away completely sidearm wings it oh my god so good so good so beautiful. the wild plays to a moving really target good. yeah Ugh. all right donald anderson update the packers have gone zero games since receiving a personal foul <laughs> yes it was too good to last and when it did it didn't even last one whole series it sure didn't it did not rough game on here's the question part. yeah that was that was rough here's a question did brian gutekinst ultimately doom this season by trading Razul douglas it seems he was the team's most reliable defensive back, yet trading him didn't make the team better in 2023. Was a 2024 draft upgrade from fifth to third round worth more than the 2023 playoff berth? I don't I don't think he doomed the team. Rizzo's good, but I don't think that their corner play really took that big of a hit when he was gone. Like it, it, He was replaced basically with Valentine, who played pretty much as well as he did, and it got Corey Valentine more time. But I don't even think he's terrible. He's just like you know, averagey okay which is fine. Yeah. Um, honestly, the biggest go, the biggest guys who, who deserve blame other than Joe Barry in the secondary are older guys. Like Jair has played like garbage in the rare instances he's been out there. Stokes is bad. Like I, I might yeah. be out on Stokes. I think the, um, he is all athletes and no technique and given all the injuries, I'm not sure that's going to work. And, the, and so, then so that's the other too. thing is, yeah, do you remember who else was all athlete and no technique? And then Kevin got King. The, yeah, I know exactly. And robbed him of athleticism. <laughs> yes, this, Stokes is just Stokes is just the second coming of Kevin King, and that's kind of sad. But like their their lower tier guys, I think are better than their upper tier guys at this point, and I have very little faith. I think Alexander is complicated, and that if he decides he wants to play good in any given week week and within the scheme he will but he just doesn't always do he's uh, he goes for jair a lot of the time and not the team a lot of the time so and i mean he also plays very much like deon sanders and that like if he's feeling sore that day he ain't tackling yep like um oh the other thing is uh donald said uh, it sure seems as if joe barry doesn't trust his dbs and that's to me that's hanlon's razor yeah um don't attribute to malice what can be attributed to ignorance like, I don't think he doesn't trust his DBs. I just think he's dumb. Uh, uh, well, I agree with that. I do. Th- so <laughs> uh, just uh, this is actually talked about in the other podcasts that will be stitched to this one way or another a little bit. But um, the Vikings do not have a strong bevy of corners on their team. They are mostly very, very young. Um, I don't have the our lads up in front of me right now, so I have forgotten one of their names. But their third round pick from this year is like their best corner. And uh, they protect their corners by mercilessly harassing the quarterback who's throwing at them. Uh, whereas Joe seems to protect his corners by giving them like 10 yard cushions. That's not, do- that, that is not helping. That is doing the opposite of helping. And I think it is a big risk averse problem that a lot of defensive coordinators have and Barry has in spades. So um, I think that there's probably some truth in that question. He doesn't trust his DBs, but he doesn't know how to deal with not trusting his DBs properly. Whereas Brian Flores does. Right. It also feels like Joe Barry wants eight DBs all at the same time. Have have three down linemen and eight yeah. DBs. Actually, one down lineman, two linebackers, and eight DBs. Yeah. Is that guy's name Mecky Blackman? Is that right? That guy's good. Mackay? Mackay Beckton? Beckton. Beckton. Thank you. Yes. 
Uh, Jonathan Deal, who makes the offense look better, Joe Barry or Kyle Shanahan? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I think we all saw that that Brock Turdy was out there the other night. That's and true. So, he showed up. Yeah, I don't know if Kyle Shanahan is infallible. He definitely, I mean, it's really funny that people talk about yeah, Brock Purdy, right? Like they say that he's out there with, with, um, oh, sorry, Paul, were we thinking of two different people? Makai Blackman is the third uh, round corner for the, not Mekki Becton, who is a different player altogether. Yeah, I was like, that's, uh, um, anyway, uh, Kyle Shanahan's out there with basically like the Avengers and then like Bruce Banner is <laughs> instead of the Hulk is out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, Joe Barry makes everybody look like the Avengers. He Holy really does. Crap. Yeah. Um, I, I, I guess I lean. Well, here's the thing though with Barry though, he does seem to be good against the chiefs. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um, I don't, they're, they're kind of the same, aren't they? They're just two sides. <laughs> well, of Joe the same Barry, coin. Joe Barry is very good against elite quarterbacks. But the fact that there's only like two or three left in the league, it's <laughs> you need to be good against the 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 common denominator. Yeah. Here. Also, if the elite quarterbacks had better offensive coordinators, and not to disparage Andy Reid, but if they just played the Purdy game for a day against the Packers, they'd tear him a new one <laughs> mm-hmm. instead of trying to do too much cool stuff. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I guess I lean Barry here, though. Shanny's obviously awesome. They're they're pretty much just two sides of the same coin. Monitor, anti-monitor. Um, Thanos, the opposite of Thanos, whatever that is. Oh, there is an opposite of Thanos, because um, uh, it's the uh, oh uh, Eros, but he's a dirtbag. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, Marvel has. Do you know the Thanos origin story in Marvel? Vaguely. So Thanos is uh, from Titan, like the moon of Jupiter, uh, with a bunch of other people who are Titans, and he's he's like the evil mutant one, and he was like picked on as a kid, but he's got a brother. So Thanos means death, and he has a brother named Eros. And Eros uh, is, you know, means love. However, in the in Marvel canon, Eros is like a dirtbag, and I would say fairly categorized as a rapist. Um, who? Yeah, damn. Because his power is he can talk people into doing things. And you know, back in the seventies and eighties, when comic book writers didn't think so hard about what they were actually doing, that happened a lot. So yeah, that's that's how that is. So he's actually probably uh, as big, if not a bigger monster than Thanos. So Thanos' opposite is also a scumbag, so he doesn't actually have an opposite. I just love that in the Marvel Universe, they have a villain who literally eats planets, and they only bust him out every once in a while. <laughs> it's because, like, oh, you're going to ruin the whole universe. So There is that. He's he's tricky, <laughs> so- too. He's, he's in the Fantastic Four movie rights, so they don't like to talk about him anymore. It's true. Yeah. All right. JD says, Jordan looked like he is a consistent top 10 QB in the league, question mark. Sub question, how did this Rashid Walker turnaround happen? Uh, Yeah, Jordan, uh, first of all, quarterbacking's garbage right now. So Jordan absolutely looks like that at the moment. Um, and it, it, he's been pretty consistent for a while now. His physical tools are really good. The, the team's super young. It's hard to see him, t- you know, backsliding too much. Um, it's not like they're going to get this is not a team of old people who is going to get drastically worse next year. This is a team of young people who uh, maybe they may like plateau for a little bit, but yeah, he should be good. He should, he looks good. Yes. Is the answer. Rashid Walker. We're good at this. We're good at turning 
offensive linemen into good offensive linemen. We do it all the time. We shouldn't actually be that surprised about it. Um, yeah. He's still not great at run blocking, just physical tools. And that's partially a Packer preference. They don't like big monsters who are road graders. They like guys who pass protect. That's actually smart. That's how they get a lot of deals on guys. But um, Stenovich is good at that. And I mean, maybe he actually finally de- you know, devoted some time to what he's good at this year. Yeah, they definitely do good with uh, tackles that just look like, you know, tight ends who are on a on a bulking diet. Yep. <laughs> and also, I think the big thing with Walker is his misses have become less catastrophic. Yeah. So I, he was he was good eighty percent of the time, but then that twenty percent was awful, and he brought his twenty percent up to mediocre, which then makes him look amazing. I would also put out there, well, he has been good. Uh, he has not been as good as the PFF grades of the last four or five weeks have made him out to be, which is like the one of the two like best tackles in football. He's not that. Like nobody who's that bad at run blocking can be one of the best two tackles in football. The best tackles in football are good at everything. Uh, so you know, grains of salt on PFF grades. They like to have things to talk about too. But yeah, he's been he has been legitimately good. Mm-hmm. But has he also gone one on one against any elite pass rushers? I don't think so um like uh the the, Kayvon Thibodeau is okay um Mm -hmm. did Tampa have Levante in that game not that he's even super elite anyway yeah but but the Tampa I mean their their interior is going to be that's what's providing a lot of the pressure kind of monstrous yeah and it's not like Carolina has any giant awesome guys their best pass rusher plays middle linebacker at the moment um (laughs) man I remember what that's like yeah (laughs) <laughs> same actually worked really well it super did yeah um oh man clay complained about that so much though remember he said i like hitting quarterbacks not fullbacks yep that's my favorite quote okay so jay google says so is jair looking for a way out or is he just trying to make joe barry look bad this, I, and this this thing's weird right we can never uh, know so and i think I did this on one of the other podcasts stitched this too, but a fair reading of the evidence about Jair. Like, first of all, I don't like to assume anybody's like faking injury or going soft. Just don't like to do it. However, um, well, it, I take this back to last year, to, to the first Vikings game of 2022, October 29th, 2022, where Jair Alexander does not guard Justin Jefferson. Um, he is basically there in zone. Uh, the Vikings do this thing that just happened to Joe Barry for the last three weeks. They basically um, spread everybody out, run motion to get Jefferson on not Jair, uh, usually Stokes. Stokes covered him, I think, two-thirds of the game and had like 184 yards and two touchdowns in that game, and the Packers lost horribly. And then uh, what happened? Jair Alexander complained to Joe Barry, mm-hmm. and, to, and, and the team actually changed how they play defense based on that conversation for the next game where Justin Jefferson was held to one catch for 15 yards, I think, on five targets, if memory serves, off the top of my head. Um, So Jair is not above expressing his displeasure with the scheme and moving to change it. Um, There has been, I would say, a lot of scheme regression this year, and you know, the guy's not shy. So I don't think he's been tanking things, but if he was, I wouldn't be that surprised that he was tanking things because he is an activist Mm -hmm. in the locker room. Um, and he is a strange person, and he's done some strange things and had strange behavior. Um, so, who knows? But I also find him to be incredibly honest. Uh, he doesn't generally do the like foreboding, uh, cryptic Instagram stuff. Like, like <laughs> what Jair thinks, Jair says, right? Like, I, I don't know if he has it in him to be, you know, the um, 
is it running backs or wide receivers? Wide receivers. Who, you know, yeah, wide. Yeah, he doesn't have the wide receiver tweets in him. <laughs> the enemy speaks kindly and carries a knife. Carries a knife. Like that's <laughs> that's not Jay. That is true. Okay, old man on a bike in Sherlington. Man, I missed you. Uh, I'm just an old man on a bike, but I like what I've seen from this year's Packers. Granted, we need to make some changes in the offseason to include replacing Joe Barry and Simone Biles' husband. But otherwise, it seems we are well positioned for years of success. Now, some of you may call out SBH after this game. Well, my wife brought to my attention that SBH made some waves last week on the TikTok after he seemingly objected to being most known for being married to Simone Biles. Now, no one outside of his immediate family would recognize SBH at a Piggly Wiggly, whereas Simone Biles is a national treasure and the most decorated Olympic gymnast. Indeed, all one needs to do is compare their Wikipedia pages where SBH touts his high school glory days and time spent on the NFL practice squads, while Simone Biles goes on and on for winning international championships. If FBH does not understand who wears the tights in their relationship, there is no way he can understand modern NFL offenses (laughs) and simply needs to go. Mm. All that said, I echo the commenter from last week who had no more questions about this squad, so instead I want to talk about the act about activities for the family in green bay as i flew in for christmas okay you're gonna have to help me with this this city uh, out of the way i would say as an yeah as an alloway native i'm a big fan of zesties and of course there is a new title town district but i've gone for a few i've been gone for a few years so what else should i do with the family oh. while i'm in town well you're asking the wrong podcast here guy um <laughs> okay so well, the first first half um yeah so for those who didn't see the interview with uh i can't remember the name of the podcast it's like I see clips from this podcast all the time, like on I YouTube shorts. I did not see it, so I don't even know. Okay, so basically it's a former player podcast. Um and what's this Ryan something? So they're like interviewing him and Simone Biles was there. And he's talking about how they met and like they matched on Tinder and he didn't know who she was. Uh. And then like he looked up her Instagram and he's like, She's like three million followers. Like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> and I guess she pursued him fairly heavily okay. in, in the beginnings of their relationship. And so he's like, yeah, I'm the catch. And <laughs> everybody just kept giving him crap over and over again about like, like, are you sure you didn't know who she was? Like, really? Come on. Yeah. And yeah. And then the internet's just big mad about it. Okay. And, you know, that's, was the there any tongue in cheek there or was it? Um, uh, I don't know. Okay. The interviewers kind of kept it tongue in cheek. Like they kept giving these like hilarious, like SpongeBob faces, like like gotcha. Uh, and then at the very end, they were like, "Hey, you guys gonna have some kids?" And they're like, "I don't know. We're kind of seeing how our careers play out." And this one guy who's been quiet the whole time just jumps in and goes, "You need to have about eleven D one babies." And like, jeez, okay. <laughs> and then he's giving advice on how to conceive a child. It is completely out of pocket. All right. <laughs> I'm glad I didn't see that. It sounds very yeah, awkward. Good, good man. Uh, but yeah, as for like what to do in Green Bay, man, I have no idea. Yeah, we're not locals been. to Green Bay. Um, we're expats, and I've never lived there. I've just been there a whole bunch of times. I can give advice on my whole bunch of times being there, but like, even that's not going to be as good as what the locals do because I like I'm a total tourist. I go to Kroll's and get a butter burger, and everybody knows that one. Um, yep. And um, there is a hinterland that I do like in the Titletown district, and usually it isn't too bad to get into. Uh, it. It's right at the base of the hill, um, the sledding hill, and you know there's like cool, like outdoor foosball tables and stuff like that there as well. That's kind of my jam and where I tend to go. But uh, like above and beyond that, uh, I don't have good Green Bay business recommendations at all. I just don't. I don't. I don't. I go to two places well, also, and I go home. 
also the, the the biggest problem that I have is like I live in a tourist destination town and everything that I would recommend to tourists is the stuff that locals already do and are also considered tourist traps. Like, hey, go hike this trail, <laughs> go see Garden of the Gods, go up Pikes Peak. Like so that's but that's crap I do. Yeah. So like maybe the touristy stuff isn't really that bad. Yeah, I do like the outdoor area right by the Kohler Hotel there. Um, They usually have a band playing, and there's usually outdoor drinks and stuff. That's fun, especially before a night game. Um, But, yeah, like, um, this is uh, not my forte. If you want to know what to do in Milwaukee, I'm all about that. And, uh, yeah, I guess Chicago some number of years ago. But, yeah, I can't give recommendations in Green Bay (laughs) of any usefulness. So, Okay. Let's, Uh, moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Richard Proctor, is there such a thing as a, quote, just don't bend in the first place, quote, defense anymore? Or do rules changes over the last 20 years make them impossible? As a Packer fan, if I hear Ben, don't break again from the new D.C., I'm going to jump off a cliff. The worst part of the Ben, but don't break thing is that they they break a lot. Like, I feel like you're setting up a dumb numerator to make your denominator look better than it actually is by claiming to be Ben, but don't break. Um, I got to dig that up. Somebody sent me a good stat that I will dig up at some point during while we're talking here and about well, how so often did you they see, punt. Um, yeah. Have you seen the that uh, quadrant thing going around of like coverage variability versus how good the defense is? Uh, no, no, I actually haven't seen that. Um, so there's a it's it's like one of those scatter plot charts going around. Yeah. And the quarters are broken up with. Um, it's actually kind of like one of those political alignment charts. So the top left is predict- predictable coverage, but good defense. Bottom left is predictable coverage, bad defense. Um, top right is unpredictable, good. Bottom right is predictable, bad. Got it. Or No, sorry. The bottom right, I think, is unpredictable. Unpredictable, bad. bad. Okay. Yeah. And so the uh, Washington is all the way at the bottom right. It's, I referred to this as the Ask Madden defense because they vary so much, but they give up so much. Um, the Browns are hyper predictable yeah yeah you know run, exactly what they're going to they do the and they're great all the time they're just really well they have good personnel so they can do that yeah but they also have jim schwartz yeah who's a really good dc bad is, head coach good dc yep uh so um a, a while ago historical gamer who is a, uh, a t- twitter follower of mine sent me this because i was looking into this too and like um uh, I'm just going to read it because it'll be quicker. But I was looking for some evidence of the Packers' defense being terrible beyond just points and outside of the advanced metrics, something that the layperson could understand, because they've had a few games with low point totals, and I found what I think it, it is. They are the second-worst team in the NFL at forcing punts. They force just 3.3 punts per game. Only Denver is worse, and it's not like they're forcing turnovers, unlike Denver, who's third in turnovers forced. Green Bay's 23rd. So they're just flat out not getting off the field, letting a lot of long drives, resulting in fewer points because there's fewer opportunities, which wouldn't be so bad if it didn't also uh, limit Green Bay's offensive opportunities as well. Um, And by the way, Green Bay also lets opponents have the longest drives in the league on an average of three minutes and one second. That one I did look up myself. Um, They just slow the game down, keep the score low, but require the offense to be perfect to have a chance a lot of the time. So they don't force punts. And so that's that's the thing like they break they they bend and then they break so yeah it's stupid and here's the thing um every defense is going to be at least a little bit bend but don't break for simple reasons of physics uh when the other team is starting at their own 25 yard line there's 75 yards of field to guard and it's harder to guard 70 you know defense gets easier as you go down the field just by the nature of how defense works but yeah good defenses will make stops well before you get into scoring range that's the entire entire point of defense and the packers don't do that letting somebody get down to the 
10-yard line routinely and then maybe lucking into a stop every now and then isn't a defensive philosophy. It's just failing. <laughs> yeah, and it's also like, oh, well, they only gave up 20 points. It's like they gave up seven scores. Right. Like, like seven field goals is bad. It is bad. Yes, that's correct. Because one of those breaks. Yeah, and teams do play just no bending or breaking. That is a thing that happens, especially with elite defenses. Um, mm. Yeah, you can do it. You don't, you know, there, there's there's some give and take here, but yes, that, that is a thing. Our defense is stupid. We all know that. Mount Doom 98. While I understand the frustration with LaFleur sticking with Barry, I don't understand the calls to fire him. Am I mistaken in believing firing LaFleur would be detrimental to love in his future? Yeah, I'm, I'm against firing LaFleur. Yeah, I'm against firing LaFleur, too. Uh, I, I know that there's a segment of the population out there that does not like Matt LaFleur, uh, but, you know, the, the quarterback development, the quick development of all these receivers, the play calling is very good. Uh, I don't think he's a perfect coach. I think he does uh, lack a little bit something in the charisma department every once in a while. I could see him um, not being the best, like, rah-rah leader out there if you did need that for your team. But, the off- I mean, he's an offensive guy. The offense has developed wonderfully firing him would be stupid um you can if you want at the organizational perspective make him fire his his defensive coordinator i know that we have this stupid bifurcated system and people are like no 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 the the the, the front office can't fire pe-. yeah they can they absolutely can they can change that by by snapping their fingers like that the front office is in charge of the coaching staff and that is how that goes no matter what mark murphy's claiming at the moment yep. so all the like to go back to Thanos, right? The giant ginger snaps his fingers and something happens. Yes, exactly. Like that, that's just how it works. But yeah. I've, if if I am correct in my assessment of, of Joe Barry being back next year, or that I pray and hope I am not, then, yeah, then we talk about it. Yeah, because uh, that's stupid. That's just dumb. But that's also, that's also a clean house all the way up to the top because the fish rots from the head. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I wouldn't fire. Yeah, but it would be very detrimental to love. I think if we got rid of LaFleur now. Yep. <laughs> also, uh, LaFleur's quote unquote, like, I guess lack of charisma is a good way to put it, like not being the best rah-rah guy. Uh, I was reading an article about how um, handsome head coaches don't work <laughs> <laughs> because uh, they didn't have to spend their lives developing uh, charisma and like, uh, the ability to maintain a room right just because <laughs> just everybody's because nervous about talking to them so they don't have to develop any strategies about talking exactly to yep yeah so so then you get like like a dude who looks like a walrus and he's one of the best head coaches of all time <laughs> ah well that's fun okay uh scott one name like share uh, firing Barry now wouldn't do much other than satisfy fan bloodlust. So credit to LaFleur for showing mercy to a millionaire Nepo baby. <laughs> it seems LaFleur's biggest weakness is being too nice to guys who try hard. BG literally had to cut Amari Rogers to get LaFleur to stop using him. Is his ideal role not as head coach, but as McCarthy's next OC? <laughs> So first of all, I disagree that uh, about the firing him wouldn't have helped. Uh, we actually have a lot of research on midseason firings of coordinators, offensive and defensive, and um, part of this is selection bias. Part of this is regression to the mean. If a guy sucked enough to get fired, that means he was doing badly. But you usually do get a pretty significant bump from in-season firings. Like that does happen routinely. It is the norm for your defense to improve upon firing a bad defensive coordinator. They absolutely should have done a midseason. And not that I think they're legit Super Bowl contenders this year, but 
if you did happen to luck into like what the Vikings got with Brian Flores, he went from the 25th best defense to the fifth best defense overnight combined with this offense development, you're suddenly a big power like you are. So you, you can't just piss away seasons by doing crap like this. And that's that's my problem here. It's too late now. There's two games left. But like with five games to go, you could have done it and it would have helped a lot. So it would it would help now, by the way. It absolutely would. It would be a, a Dale Swain move, but you could still do it, and it would give them a bump on defense. Um, so if you take away the uh, pure outlier of the Rams game and run right, DVOA... Right, against the garbagiest quarterback of all time. Yes. Yeah. So if you run DVOA off of the other games and you actually remove that week completely from the NFL, the Packers are the worst defense in the league by DVOA by a lot. Yeah, they are. So... Country by... Um, also, I think Scott's just being, uh, based on the millionaire Nepo baby uh, <laughs> yeah. comment, I, I think he's being tongue-in-cheek. Tongue-in-cheek, yes. Uh, but uh, also, uh, you you, uh, you don't want Matt LaFleur as your offensive coordinator. You do want him as your head coach. Uh, I, I know charisma, yes, blah, blah, blah. You can't hire guys for that, but uh, you don't want to... One of the reasons, I, I think, if I was betting long-term on the NFC North and how good everybody is... I think I would actually have the Vikings ahead of the Lions now. And uh, that's not a big rip on the Lions um, because they've done a very, very, very good job and they're going to win the division and they've been good for a couple of years in a row. Um, but I suspect they're going to lose Ben Johnson and uh, he's going to get a head coaching job and that will hurt the Lions a lot. And offensive coordinators in particular get stolen with regularity for head coaching jobs. Defensive uh, coordinators tend not to quite as much. Defensive coordinators, even though we suck at it, tend to be more easily replaceable than offensive coordinators. Um, not for the Packers, maybe, but for most of the league. So, yeah, you want, you want your guy as the head guy, your offensive guy as the head guy. That works better, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the I'm trying to think of like the last truly successful defensive head coach. I mean, Belichick. Not Belichick, is, but yes. It's, I mean, Belichick's the outlier, but like, yeah, they're pretty much all offense. Yep. True. All right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brace Trozen. Is there any chance that Barry revamps his scheme even somewhat to play against the Viking strengths? Or will we get the same old, same old? I'm going to take the n- late 90s indie scene for my album this week. Oh, boy. Keep it like a secret, built to spill in 1999. Because we'll probably never find out the other Jair incidents that led to his suspension. And we'll never know what Joe Barry has on Matt LaFleur that's kept him around so long. Um, there's a chance. Uh, it, Barry has done it every once in a while when prompted to by other people usually. Um, but, you know, you can't bet on it because a lot of the time it doesn't happen. <laughs> so there, I hope it happens. It's very, very easy to put a game plan for Jaron Hall and Justin Jefferson and nothing else. It just Yeah, is. well, I, I wonder if we're going to see a repeat of the Rams where you have – just a god awful quarterback. He's bad. Be- His arm isn't Brett Rippin bad though. Like, he actually has an NFL arm. He's not well, like, good, but I was terrified of Mullins because when you have a gunslinger out there yeah. who like doesn't care that he's bad, he's gonna break some. Yeah, they like, should start Mullins. I know he threw four picks last week um against Detroit, but like he can actually quarterback en- yeah. enough. And he's well he's done this system enough well ish that that's your correct thing to, that you should be doing. Dobbs also, can't throw. Like, he's a great athlete, but he can't throw. That's his big problem. Yeah. Uh, and he's smart as hell, apparently. You know, we all know that. He's the pastor or not. Um, this is the one where, like, <laughs> you're just going off of – you have inexperience. You, 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 this is too easy for the Packers. And they'll screw it up still, probably. But Also, people need to go watch that 
Detroit game, um, Mullins was out there playing like Brett Favre. Like he was just he was trying to make magic yeah, happen and was. forcing into tight windows, and it bit him. That's yeah. He threw for four hundred and eleven yards in that game. Like he just, yeah. you know, a lot of them were to the other team, but that. That's and also the, for you. the fourth pick was trying to force it to Justin Jefferson and, you know, trying to make something happen. Yep. Because two plays before that, he threw a magical pass to Justin Jefferson. So like, there you go. Also, um, yeah, I don't know what Joe Barry has on that floor. No, it's, they must be good friends. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe LaFleur and Marinelli are friends. <laughs> Family barbecue. All right. But- <laughs> Danny Noonan, who is less deserving of their current job, Joe Barry or Claudine Gay? Where does that UW lacrosse guy rank? I don't know who Claudine Gay is, so I don't know. Um, the answer is probably Joe Barry, though, because no one's less deserving of their job than Joe Barry. Uh, Claudine Gay is the president of Harvard University. Okay. Um, what she apparently do? Harvard Harvard <laughs> is in a tailspin. I guess I don't know. Okay, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, UW Sorry, lacrosse I don't, guy, I don't keep up on the Ivy League comings and goings. UW lacrosse guy, that one I know. Um, the, the UW lacrosse chancellor or whatever, um, he uh, he recorded a pornogra- pornographic film with a, I think, professor there or somebody else there, and so well, he had multiple. He had multiples with his wife, and then he also, I guess, produced some films of other people. Yeah. So um, the question there is, like, he he is raising a First Amendment defense, just. Uh, to lawyer for a second um that is not gonna work um it is not a matter of public concern um that those exist and so uh the state in its role as employer and not as state actor can in fact fire people for that it's why you can fire people for screwing up on the job for you know cause things like that the first amendment is not to get out of free card jail free card for this kind of thing and he will not succeed here so um so i recall the bylaws saying something like uh, can be terminated at any time for any reason. Yeah. And like you, he signed on the dotted line. Like those are, those are the things that he accepted. So like you can't be fired off often college professors, especially at, at, well, not especially at state schools cannot be fired for teaching controversial topics. That is one area where the first amendment does offer protection, but this is not that. So there you go. Um, and, but Joe Barry is, you know, not a good employee. So I still put him below even that guy. I mean, also, he's the UW lacrosse guy got let go for having a side hustle. Joe Barry can't even single hustle. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Patrick Detmer. I just listened to a second Packer related podcast featuring JR from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. Oh, yeah. My question is this Is there anything that triggers the RAE hosts with the same level of rage as shown by Tom Silverstein, where JR mentions what Packer fans are saying on Twitter during the Green 19 (laughs) podcast? Ah, Schadenfreude. It's come back around. I just, I love how JR is to spoon what I am to JR. Yep, that's, just, <laughs> that's it's, the it's funny the thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, spoon's the best. Yep, he is. But no, there's that, that's, it's just ironic is all. It's great. And also everybody should listen to the Green 19, especially while JR is doing it. It's fantastic. Uh, Dutch Boy 5. Aaron Jones returned to form and it was nice to see. Dylan was looking better before the injury. Still thinking it's a very good tandem, and I know you can find a running back anywhere. What say you? How would you restructure Aaron Jones' contract to keep them both? Oh, that's the toughest thing on this man. You can't, I don't think you, 
unless Aaron Jones is willing to take like a one year, not that many millions of dollars deal, which he will not, um, you can't do it. Like you got to let him go. He's going to, he's, he's shown this year, the injuries are starting to catch up to him. He's not a big back. He's awesome. He is awesome. And losing him will actually hurt. He is substantially better than most running backs. The thing is like, most running backs aren't Aaron Jones. You you can find the average running back very very easily, but um, on all charts like running over expected explosive explosive runs like he's one of the best of the last like ten years. He really is. Yeah, the only thing that holds him down is volume because he can't stay healthy. Uh, and even when he is healthy, they limit his touches to try and keep him healthy. So um, if you can get him to sign a stupid contract to bring him back for a year. That's great, but he's pro- somebody's going to give Aaron too much money for too many years, and you're going to well, have to go his, find new ones. His cap number next year is seventeen million. Yeah, um, and he has three void years associated with the back half of his yeah. contract. So maybe they put have to... maybe they do a one year and push that out, but I, I you got to rip the ba- you, you can't give big money to a thirty year old two hundred pound running back. You just can't do it. Who runs between mm-hmm. the tackles like? Yeah, so he will be he will be thirty next year, and will be continue he'll continue to be on the Packers payroll until he's thirty three. Yeah, huzzah! Yeah, I just, I just don't see it. Um, I think you can keep uh, Dylan for pretty cheap. Yeah, I think so too. I don't see him going elsewhere. They'll be and drafting running backs this year, though. They absolutely. But will. I think I think keeping Dylan would keep uh, Goot from spending too early on a running back. Maybe. Hopefully, he, he's done it before, though. Dylan was a second yeah. rounder, but they had Aaron Jones, so and Jamal. Yeah, but but he was there to replace Jamal, right? Like, is is there? Eh, I mean, I, I mean, so I know the so keeping him won't stop him from drafting somebody too high to yeah. replace Aaron Jones. I just talked myself out of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, keeping uh, Dylan would keep them from drafting another big back early. Yeah. How's that? That's good. <laughs> uh, Prime Eddie Lacy. Speaking of big backs. Uh, I also have no further questions about this Packers team <laughs> and generally am optimistic about our future with Love, LaFleur, the young receivers, and a new DC, Mike Zimmer, question mark. So in the holiday spirit, I was wondering what were the formative experiences that made you guys Packers fans? Mine was watching Donovan McNabb drove the Jim Miller-led Bears in the playoffs at the tender age of six and joining my uncle's side of the Packers-Bears rivalry. <laughs> Good move in hindsight. Uh, I-, I was just born into it in terms of my family watched every single week even when they were absolutely awful in the 80s I've seen a lot of bad forced Greg called runs off tackle against much better teams and um uh, so like, I was uh, kind of brainwashed I guess in that sense because I was there for the horrible Packer teams the kind of seasons that would make you leave for a different team but uh I was long enough to get to the 1989 season which was probably what solidified it for me that season's great that's the Don Mikowski season where they won a ton of come from behind games where they actually turned into a a good passing offense where Sterling Sharp finally broke out and uh you know they beat the Bears it was phenomenally fun so probably that whole season is what did it for me but um I, I would watch even when they were running like Brent Fullwood off you know dive plays for four uh the first two downs of every series so so uh my dad's a uber and uh, was born right on the on the border in a town called Besmer. It's, it's like eight miles from Wisconsin. Like Hurley, Wisconsin is on the border oh, yeah. of Michigan. Um, and his sister married a guy from Hurley, Wisconsin, uh, my Uncle Mike. And my dad is a Bears fan. 
believe it or not. And so his brother-in-law thought it was hilarious to get his kid to say go pack go when he was three. And <laughs> around the time when I like had enough frontal lobe development to appreciate football, like on a more complex level, uh, was the first year the Packers went to the Super Bowl. So it was the 96 season, like the magic of Brett Favre and going to the Super Bowl. And I got to, I got to stay up late and watch the Super Bowl. And we got a bunch of little Caesars pizza and that's a good time. <laughs> like, and my team won. And then I started playing pop Warner the next year. So it's like, you know, that was just, that was it, man. Like the thing that got me into football was the Packers. And then that just solidified from there. Nice. Yeah. All right. Matt Pickett. Given how far below his usual standard Jair's performance has been this season, are we really that much worse off without him this week? And speaking of Jair, which party in this situation do you most identify with? The cocky, emboldened aggressor, the disrespected nice guy, the stern parent who has to put their foot down, the amused teammates siding with the clown, or the teammates that are ignoring the whole thing? <laughs> uh, I'll bet the teammates are not ignoring the whole thing. Um, and... <laughs> Um, I guess I, I'm probably more on stern parent side, but I'm I would say even more on someone else's parent watching the, someone else's family have a big problem and being very judgy about it, because I feel like, first of all, Alexander should be punished for that. He shouldn't have been running out to make himself the captain and almost screwing up the coin toss, which would have been quite tragic. And uh, the thing is, I suspect this is not all. Um, that was not a single event. I suspect that was the culmination of a lot of things coming together and um, could have been addressed earlier behind closed doors before it became a big public thing. So um, I'm very much a parent, but I think a parent of a different family watching a playground um, fight that I wouldn't allow to happen to my own family. Yeah, I'm exact same way. Like I'm, I feel like we're sitting back and watching like passive aggressive, gentle parenting. Yeah. And it's just like, man, that's going to come back and bite you, dude. Absolutely. <laughs> um, Yeah. Also, I don't know if, if Jair is a detriment out there. You know, I think 80% Jair is still third best corner. Yeah, I think so, too. It's hard to tell when he's hurt um, and depending on how he's hurt. Like, we've seen him shut down Justin Jefferson before when allowed to actually like play aggressive man against him. If you had him out there, you could theoretically do that. The question is, is he actually right enough to do it? And is Joe Barry smart enough to actually call it correctly? And who knows? No, I no freaking clue. No idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, let's just see some Mabel out there, right? Give me, give me a man look on the single wide receiver side and zone on the bunch and hope, hope that Justin Jefferson isn't in the bunch. <laughs> Uh, okay. Danish cheesehead. So suddenly Bo Melton had a pretty solid game. Yeah. What does Paul's black magic Excel sheet have to say about this? Bo Melton sucks. And that's what my sheet says about him. Um, uh, in 2021, uh, I ranked, let's see, 332 receivers by Rops. He was 300. Um, and the reason he was 300 for Rutgers is that, first of all, Bo Melton, very, very, very fast. Um, uh, it, I believe he's an iron ras guy, but he's tiny. He's a teeny tiny um, fast guy and played at Rutgers. Here's the thing. He caught um, a very, very low number of his targets, which you might blame on Rutgers quarterbacks. Fine. But he also was super non-explosive, one of the least explosive 
players in Division One football. Um, he is ranked down by the running backs in yards per catch. Um, that is not where you want to be as a fast guy. And that is kind of what he looks like at the NFL level. Like, um, he had a decent enough game last game, some nice catches, but he's a big fast guy. Or not big, he's a fast guy. He's supposed to be explosive, and he's not. He's a non-explosive small guy, and, you know, it's not going to work. Um, it's fine if you want to keep him around for your sixth receiver. Okay, he, he's, he apparently works very hard. He shows up, he's good on special teams, all that stuff. It's good having those guys around, but he, he's not going to turn into anything. Um, uh, there are very few receivers as bad as him who ended up making the NFL. He's also a straight line burner. Straight line burner, that, totally. Short straight yeah, line burner is hard in the NFL. Yeah, his his uh, three cone is barely breaks seven. Like we've got we've got outside linebackers who are yep. more agile than that. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's five eleven one ninety. Yeah, like that's that that's a dude who's going to get blown off the line if he has to actually f- go against an NFL press. All correct. Mm, yeah. Um. Oh, and uh, second half of his question and Romeo Dobbs looking more serviceable question yeah mark? um romeo has been pretty good lately um i still I'm, i don't think he's a legit number one but he's been a good possession receiver it would be nice if he would ever catch a ball cleanly in his life um but uh he has let's see i got splits here he has been quite a bit better lately uh in the second half of the season and really boosted that yards per catch from uh, honestly execrable terrible levels uh, to something much more serviceable at 11.5. That is primarily because of big games against uh, Kansas City, where he averaged 18 yards a catch just last game against Carolina because he had that one big catch that made him up to 20. Um, he's had a couple of nice 12s against Detroit and uh, and uh, the Rams in there too. So he's been okay. His numbers actually now look halfway decent. I still think he's kind of just... He's better than like Bo Melton, but I, I think he's kind of just a guy. He's a nice number two and number three, uh, but he's stretched as a one. So hopefully the rest of the guys keep playing better and keep him as a two or three where he can actually be serviceable. But he can at least play on the outside. He can. Know that. It's nice. He's a, surf- he's a serviceable outside receiver, not just another slot. Guy. Yeah, I'll take that. Scarf 21. Uh, LaFleur continues to stick his neck out to defend Barry even seemingly throwing the offense under the bus to avoid holding the defense accountable. How concerned are you that he will inexplicably bring back Barry in 24? As frustrated as he seems on a weekly basis, Matt seems to be doing everything in his power to avoid holding Barry accountable. Sub-question, is the suffering we must endure watching the Packers' defense the price we must pay to maintain equilibrium in the universe as Tucker Craft shatters the third-round curse? <laughs> sure, yes. Um, uh, good on Tucker Craft for that. I'm not. I'm that. not calling that yet. By the way, oh, well, the bet's not over. Absolutely not. Like, yeah. No, no, no. no. I'm. T- I'm saying specifically the third round curse. Yeah. I ain't calling that because the last, I would say the last third round curse breaker, uh, breaker his neck. So oh, it's not fair. It's like, okay. Your Michael Finley suddenly became very good and then suddenly and then, broke his neck. And then broke his neck. That's true. So what do we got to give him? Like three seasons to call it broken? Yeah. yeah. Um. So he has to be good for his rookie contract sign a second contract that is not um super crazy expensive okay and and that's to me that's a broken third round yes gotcha all right fair enough but as for the uh yeah um so we're also doing a lot of assumptions here with barry being out um in that 99 times out of 100 coordinators are on three-year contracts this is the third year of his contract i cannot find any definitive proof that it's a three-year contract okay 
Um, so, <laughs> so we don't know. All right. We are all under the assumption that this is the last year of his contract. And that seems to be like the general consensus. However, I still haven't seen any concrete. They can't questions. bring him back. They, they cannot. Yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. But, you know, you know, it's really <laughs> if, bad. And also, if he did sign a four year contract, like out of nowhere, and he is back next year, uh, I take no pleasure in that. Yeah. It would be annoying for me, but for both of us. Ryan Ziegler, how far is Joe Flacco going to take the Browns, and what the hell are they going to do with Watson's contract? Eat it. (laughs) No choice there. (laughs) Well, folks, we are three days away at the time of recording from Joe Flacco unleashing his superpower. Do you know know Joe Flacco's nickname? No. January January Joe. January Joe. That makes sense. Because Joe Flacco in the playoffs is a menace. He goes on a burner once in a while. He does. Big and arm's still there. Has... That's the thing about Joe. Like, a lot of these old guys come back, and they're just, like, savvy veteran, weak-armed guys at this point. Joe's out there, like, playing Brett Favre lights. He's he's winging it down the field. It's fun. Also, Flacco is one of the last good uh, statuesque quarterbacks. I'm not yeah. going to say, like, in, in terms of, like, you know, he's very tall. He's not terribly mobile. And he knows how to torque his body to throw the ball far and hard. They might go far. Like they're, they're probably a good dark horse candidates. The Browns' personnel is great. Like their their defense is one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league. And they have great skill position players. They just have had garbage quarterbacking, and now they have you know averagey quarterbacking. They might go far, honestly. So I'm not uh, Joe Flacco. Them. Well, Joe Flacco has thrown 13 touchdown passes in the last five games. Yep which is more than I think four or five teams have thrown all year. Yeah, definitely is. <laughs> I think the Jets only have like 12. The The, the guy who got 11. cut for 11. The guy who got cut for Aaron getting activated had one of the 11. I remember when the stat came out and everybody was like, 11? <laughs> yeah, well, that was a conspiracy theory, Paul. Don't don't talk about yeah, that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, um, the Browns to me are a terrifying team. Yep, I wouldn't especially want to play them because... in the playoffs. And if you are a higher ranked team, you don't want to run into them in the playoffs at all. But they also still have a shot at taking the AFC North they do. and playing a home game, and that would just be murderous for basically anybody else yep. except for maybe the Ravens. Yeah, and as, as for Watson, he, I think he's washed, and you you just gotta keep you just gotta eat it. Like you gotta keep him on the bench for years and not play him, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's what they did with uh, Osweiler. Yep they they got a second round pick to eat Osweiler's seventy million dollar contract. That's right. And they're so it's not something they're. Yeah, you give Deshaun Watson that much money, you get what you deserve. That's what that's what's happening there. K times seven, the Packers should be committed to discipline and winning. This team should have a standard. A suspension for a game makes sense, so suspend Joe Barry for one game. Seriously, I realize that this is not apples to apples. However, how do we reconcile holding a professional football player to a team standard, but his coach to no standard at all? (laughs) How you lose rules for the yeah. I was going to say, rules for thee, not for me. Yep, It is how you lose the locker room, though. And Jared, what he did was out of the ordinary, and so a punishment is probably warranted. Um, But, I mean, you're right. It's hard to hold anybody to a standard on the field if you're not holding your coordinator to a standard on the field. And it's how you lose people. And we've talked about that a lot lately, and uh, it is... It is a problem. Monitoring the Packer locker room is worth doing. I think they have a potential bubbling problem there. Sure. Yeah. I mean, you've you've got um, you've even got people on the offense out there doing the cryptic Instagram thing, showing support for Jair. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it's not just the defense at this point. Yep. Flaley Joel Osmond. 
in your defensive strategy, 60% of the time it works every time, then maybe it's bad. Paul has explained the year-to-year variance in defensive schemes, but what kind of expectation should there be in season? And is how many SDs are average versus abnormal? Hmm. Is, Not SDs? sure. I think, does he mean defensive coordinators? Hmm, shoot. It's... Uh, we'll, we'll we'll do our best, Flaley. I'm not sure what SDs is, but um, I I I think I have a decent heuristic for this, which is um, your defensive coordinator. You should expect to vary by about ten to twelve spots a year, which is very large. Um, and in season, the way that you should assess it, first of all, is that you should use point differential or something like it, a more advanced point differential if you want, or DVOA versus actual record. Like you should keep a, an actual, um, you know. Uh, good metric for the, how the defense is performing. Try to take out as much luck as possible, and you you should adjust for injuries too. Like if you are, you can't expect to be completely healthy, um, but you should have a metric for what you expect given average injuries. And if your team is decimated by injuries, you should cut your defensive coordinator a lot of slack because there's only so much they can do. Um, but the thing about Joe Barry that we have a lot of data on is he's never good. You know, um, he's always a bottom defensive coordinator, and he bops around a little bit in the 20s, but he never gets above 15. It just never happens with him. So um, if your defensive coordinator is like, if you're like, you know, four, then eight, then like you bop down to like 14 for a season, I don't think that's cause for concern, and you should be patient with your DC. Um, if that continues, then you stick in the bottom half. But like 14 is just a normal bit of variance for any given defensive coordinator who is like a top half coordinator. That's going to happen sometimes. And also... There will be like an explainable metric if they are a top ten consistently and drop down to the mid level. You'll be like, oh, they're n- they're not forcing turnovers anymore. Yeah, something like that will show up. And turnovers are very random. Fumble recoveries are very random. You can pick out these little things that cause defenses to underperform very easily. Um, uh, cluster luck. We talk about that a lot on the baseball podcast. But uh, having a lot of your success um, on defense on first or second down and then not on third down. Um, that is often a, a just a bit of randomness that comes that will come back to, to the mean eventually. It's not always. Some guys actually suck on third down. I actually think Joe Barry sucks on third down for real. But most teams uh, put a consistent d- d- uh, defensive effort across all the downs, and their success doesn't lump with where you would expect it to, and it costs them. So you can usually pick out why they've struggled and tell, tell if it's luck or something else. But uh, yeah. That that's that. Um, and uh, as for SD's average versus abnormal, I'm not sure. <laughs> I feel is this like a D's nuts joke that we're missing, and like we're gonna get a maybe it is. It like... could be. It's a good if it, it's a good setup, honestly. Um, if if so, so we'll see if we get that next year, ne- next week. All right, that's it. No, next year. Next year, we will get it next year. You're right. All right. <laughs> On that note, Matt, happy New Year. Um, anything you want Anything you want to plug real quick before we get out of here? Um. So my uh, betting content continues to get more and more unhinged as the season progresses. Oh, yeah, that was good. And if the Packers get mathematically eliminated, I am just going to write the most ridiculous articles humanly possible. Excellent. Um, But no, I mean, as always, call your best friend, tell him you love him, open your best bottles, life is short. I got to try Pappy 15 for the first time. Oh, man. All right. How was it? Live up to your expectations Uh, or just a bourbon that costs a lot? I finally understand the law of diminishing returns as it relates to that hobby. Yeah. Um. Van Winkle 10 is phenomenal. Van Winkle 15 is only slightly better. It is not twice as good. Got it. Like, so. All right. 
Makes sense. Uh, as for me, I got something up on Acme Packing Company right now, and I got something with the Shepherd Express recapping that last terrible game that happened, so go check that out. And uh, I think we'll be back next week at a normal-ish time um, to do the podcast, and everything will return to normal-ish. Hopefully we'll have something to play for and not get eliminated. That would be lovely. <laughs> but but uh, who knows what, what we'll have in store for us. Here. So, um, have, have a happy New Year, everybody. Stay safe. Enjoy the game. Why can't they all be Minnesota girls I'm sorry Brian Wilson But you were wrong Who oh, I can't